Welcome to Two Day Dream Believers Podcast. I'm your host, Space Orphan 18. Um, today we are talking about the second episode of season three, I Am Unicorn. And you are unicorn too, so don't let anyone stop you. Um, with me today, I have RB, uh, who is C. Kerouac at Tumblr. And Hi. Hi. And <laughs> I'm stopping over you. I'm sorry. Hi. Welcome. <laughs> and <laughs> Mel who is enjoying a nice Sunday brunch. Um, you can find her at 47mel47 on Tumblr. Hello. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, I am Unicorn. And um, before we get really into this this first scene, because we do open with Brittany and, and Kurt, I we talked a little bit in the Purple Piano Project about the differences between Season 3 and the Seasons 1 and 2 and how the tonality of the show is different it and um i think as most people know season three is not my favorite um it's the thing that i keep coming back to is that it is not as gritty or as dark even though there's some dark things that happen in this season um it isn't as i don't know there's a little bit more it's it's not as edgy um, and I was thinking about it as we, we get into this Kurt and Brittany scene, as much as I really like the scene when we get in the meat of it, it's a little bit more cartoonish, if that makes any sense. I mean, I think they took a lot of the, the fighting satire out, um, that you had in season one. And I, and I agree with you that I think that cartoony is a good way to explain a lot of, a lot of season three. Now, do you guys think that, I mean, let me ask you guys what you guys think of, you know, now that we're into season three, now that we are kind of facing a different show, what are you guys, what do you guys think? I mean, season season one and two is are, are the ones that I would go back to and the ones that I really, really enjoy because I like the, the biting satire. I mean, that season one is what drew me in. I, I, I was a fan from the first episode. And so the shifts in tone as the series progressed, um, I, I didn't care for them as much because it wasn't the show that I had fallen in love with when I started. What about you, Mel? What are you going to give um, me the spotlight? I'm going to shove the okay. microphone in your face. Here you go. <laughs> um, yeah, I sort of, yeah, we lose that satire. And I also think season three, I mean, they've always tried to do too many stories dealing with all the characters. But it feels even more prominent in this series, in this this particular season, is that 
um, nothing necessarily really feels done properly or um, covered to to a sort of detail. It's sort of like something we mentioned and then it's brushed over and it's done in the next episode or something like that. I think that's um, sort of perhaps one of the biggest things that sort of changes the feel of the show in this particular season. Um, yeah. Um, and I, I would like to say, and I'm going to not edit this part out, um, is that if anybody at any point disagrees with me, that's fine. I mean, I don't really like wank, but as long as you can be like, well, you know, Pam, you can kind of think of it in this different way. And I'll be like, oh, I've never thought of it that way. And this is why you're so wrong. Or, you know, I may actually <laughs> agree with you, but it's, it feel free. I mean, just because I'm trying to convince everyone that season three is awful doesn't mean you can't enjoy season three or think it's the best season ever. So uh, I, I always... I'm a very easily to please fan. Like, I won't ever say this season is my least favourite because I love things about all of the seasons, if that makes sense. But See, that's what we need, a little sunshine <laughs> of joy because it I'm was... Just, I'm, just like, I'm just like, you know what, this is entertaining and I'm fine with that, but I can recognise that yeah. there, there are the issues in each one. I'm not going to sit here and go, everything's fantastic and everything works, but I'm going to sit here and go, didn't really like this, but I still love it. it <laughs> it's, so, very, it's, it's so funny. And there when, are certainly some... Ass, some uh, aspects of season three and some scenes and some storylines that I really enjoy. Oh yeah. Though the season as a whole would not be my favorite. Right. And when we get into this one, I mean, there's a lot of really great stuff in this episode amongst all of the really bad stuff as well. Um, but <laughs> I, it's so funny cause, um, the last podcast, Oh, I was doing it with snarky and she's like, you're different now. Now that we've gotten to season two, <laughs> or into season three, she's like, you're just a little bit more snarkier than you used to be. And I'm like, well, <laughs> so here we go. I am unicorn. Um, we open up and we are at a locker and we're at Kurt's locker and he's uh, doing himself up and he's got his, you know, little Blaine shrine and his little, um, uh, bird pins that he's adjusting and, and Brittany hops up as the adorable, like, you can you just see this as, like, a My Little Pony cartoon where she's just like, hi, friend, how are you today? And, yeah, I mean, I we haven't really, we didn't get a whole lot of Brittany Kurt interaction in season two that I can remember. Um, but they did have this kind of connection in season one for a short amount of time. It, it's kind of funny to think that at one point they kind of dated for a, a, you know, a week and a half. Um, but yeah, they, Brittany considers herself a unicorn and she sees. Or a bicorn. Or bicorn. She's not sure. That's true. <laughs> and she sees, you know, that unicornness um, in, in Kurt. And maybe we should take a second and. Uh, define what being a unicorn is. From Britney's words? Yeah. <laughs> well, from yours, from Britney's, from whatever you think, whatever you take out of it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> huh. I don't know. I, 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 I mean, I kind of think that she's saying that, you know, a unicorn is somebody who is different from the rest of the horses around them, um, kind of march, marches to the beat of their own sprinkles and <laughs> stands out whether they want to or not, which I think is a really good definition for both Kurt and Brittany. Oh, yeah. I, one thing that I really love about these two together is that they're kind of, 
like Brittany kind of go gets at the world at a different perspective. And I think Kurt gets that. And at the same time, Kurt has got his own eccentricities that Brittany's just like, okay, let's do this. Doesn't matter. I don't see you as any weirder than anybody else on the planet. And I think that's why I really, really like these two together when, when they get to do something together. I love these two together. Um, I think that Brittany accepts him and accepts all of his quirks uh, without questioning, which is something that you can't say for any other character on the show, including Mercedes, who I adore. But Brittany is kind of like, okay, so this is who you are. That's cool. Let's, uh, let's add some glitter to this and let's make this work. <laughs> yeah. She, she gets him. I mean, like this goes right on into just season six when she has that conversation with him about Blaine. It's sort of like she, Brittany gets Kurt, Kurt gets Brittany. And because I suppose in, in that particular world, they are different to everyone else. Um, in terms, like in terms of talking about that definition of of being a unicorn, um, and I think it's really it's really sweet. I mean, like she when she, you know, I think you're fabulous. I just love everything that you do. Mm. When she sort of says that to him, there's no pretense there. It's just yeah. And it's and, um, interesting that he's because she's like, I want to be your campaign manager, and he says. Mm-hmm. Well, why don't you do it? And she's very aware of herself in some respects. I mean, this is the flashback where, isn't this the one where she's like, the teacher's like, what's the capital of Ohio? And she's oh. like, oh, <laughs> who's the president? Will I am. <laughs> I do find that an interesting transition. So they've asked for the capital of Ohio. She doesn't know that. So it's like, do you even know who the president is? It was a strange transition. Maybe you, ask for another capital of the state first. <laughs> you know what I was thinking though when I when I went back and, and did this really quick. That teacher is the history teacher, and it's the teacher that Will is going to later replace in the Spanish teacher. And I'm like, why is she talking about Ohio State Capitol anyway? I mean, that's something you but learn she, in the third grade. I just it was, she was also um, the teacher in the um, home economics room in prom queen. Oh, that's right. Brittany about the egg, like the egg and the chicken, the baby chicken. I don't know. A lot of the classes at McKinley seem rather remedial. So (laughs) I've stopped questioning. I mean, they continue to employ Will Schuster. That's true. Who who literally cannot speak Spanish. (laughs) Yet is their Spanish teacher. So I've just, I've just stopped questioning the, uh, the line education system. I think I've expressed my, my dictate to the way educators are, um, shown in this show <laughs> so oh. much. So I have <laughs> so much. There are um, so many teachers that are on this podcast, and it makes me happy inside of being a family member of many teachers to hear them agree with me on this. <laughs> you, um, y'all can do so much better. <laughs> well, I hope so. Uh, um, but going back to um, Kurt suggesting that like Brittany run, I sort of. I find it kind of interesting. It's like he's suggesting competition from her. Like, does he not see her at this point as a real threat? Like, he's running. She, he's suggesting to her as an opponent. And sort of when you go into the next episode with the performance of sort of his reaction to run the world, you know, maybe it's sort of this, he doesn't sort of see her. Well, I, also don't, I also don't think that his first inclination is no, 
if I encourage you to be my opponent, it's going to be competition the same way that Rachel considers all of the things that she says, you know, not encouraging people to do it. I kind of feel like Kurt was like, well, if you're really interested in this, Hmm. why aren't you doing it? I think that was a very, a very innocent comment. Yeah. I think again, it goes, I know that Rachel and Kurt have this bizarre friendship competitiveness about them. I don't necessarily think that he's like that as much in his other friendships. Now that I think about it, I mean, he's not like that with Mercedes and he and Brittany aren't really competitive. It's, you know, he just kind of, yeah, I don't think it's necessarily that he doesn't find her competition. It's just that, Hey, she wants to do this thing. She's my friend. I'm going to encourage her. I'm sure he does think that he has the upper hand, but I, I, I don't think that he, you know, is completely dismissive of her either. Also, one of the things that I really love about the Kurt and Brittany friendship for, for anybody who's listened to their podcasts and has heard me say a number of times that I have issues with the infantilization of Brittany. She's not, she doesn't have those sorts of problems when she's in a scene with Kurt. Right. For some reason, when they write a storyline, you know, in the first season and now here in the third season between her and Kurt, you know, she's, She's ditzy. She's not portrayed as all that bright, but she's not portrayed as a child either. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really, I feel like I can enjoy her character more when she's with Kurt because I, I love the ditzy character. I love the ditzy yeah. archetype. I think that's a lot of fun. And with Kurt, she's portrayed as a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. Um, so kind of going forward, we get into the first choir room scene. Which doesn't have a whole lot of Kurt. There are a couple of little things I want to point out. I have this picture of the him and Blaine, and they're sitting there, and I'm like, get used to it, guys. This is what we get of Blaine for the whole next yeah. season. <laughs> Welcome to background scene bonanza. <laughs> Which is, you know, it's kind of a shame, though. We do not get... Okay, so Kurt spent majority of season two not in... Um, not in the background scenes because he was over in, at Dalton. And when he gets back, because he was always known so much for season one for being just this goofy weirdo and stealing the scenes behind, but it's really toned down in season three as I've been going along. And um, it's kind of sad. We don't get to see as many. There's still some, there's still some really great stuff, but he's more of just kind of sitting there just watching. So and maybe he's plotting his escape. <laughs> Maybe if I wait until Shoe's back is turned, I can escape with my man. I will. We can run. I, 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 one thing I'm really being entertained, I'm just entertaining myself with, is the amount of times Kurt is just so unimpressed with Will. It keeps going. And I, man, I, I mean, when I did it in season one, I just thought it was a joke a couple times, but it's really a trend to the point that I'm wondering if it was part of Chris Colper's choices because it's I so prominent. It has to be because it's one of the very few things that is consistent. Um, because as much as I love Glee, consistency is not one of the things that they are known for. Um, but Kurt's complete and utter disdain at the educational styling of Will Schuster is, uh, something that has continued and only gotten more pronounced from (laughs) season one through his graduation. Oh, And yet the show continues to insist that, um... Will has saved his life, and how on earth? I know. <laughs> Will's done. Will's done all of this for him, and all this sort of stuff, and yet <laughs> I get. 
each time they, you know, try to insist on that, I would keep on waiting until the end of the scene going, is this some sort of fever dream <laughs> that Will's going to wake up from and be like, oh, wait, 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 oh my god, everybody loved me, they gave me awards, they told me they were going to name their children after me, it's amazing. <laughs> like, no. No. I think so. Oh. At the same time, um, Blaine's sitting there, he doesn't say anything really in the scene, he's just so sad looking, I don't know why. Because he misses all of those adorable boys that he got to look at at Dalton. Mm. Sorry, I am I am in the in the camp of I wish that we had stayed at Dalton because they were so pretty and I love those boys and I'm fully aware that I'm in the minority, but Dalton <laughs> lasers, <laughs> dance, dancing boys. And his bow ties just not the same as his blazer. They mm. don't. <laughs> um. So we get one thing we do get in the scene is that Will is going to start booty camp. And uh, why would he pull a cut? Because of Will. Booty camp, students, dude. In in the pantheon of bad choices, Will Schuster, which I kind of feel like should be a running segment on the podcast. And not only that, let's announce to the entire class who needs special help. I know. Like, I, I well, no, I okay. Understand? Like, I understand the idea of. We should work on our dancing because that's yes. something yes. we are lacking in. I don't understand the idea of the teacher going, so half of you suck. No. Um, yeah. But tell well, me which ones of you suck in front of your friends, and then I'm going to make all y'all uh, who suck come after school to dance. Okay, so this is that my is thing. literally terrible. This literally is literally terrible. My thing about this scene. Just, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Mel. You use the strongest students to help the lowest students, so you have all of them doing it, and then you can pair them up and you group them, so it's a supportive person. Right. Well, and here's the kicker. Not only does he single these kids out, there's only four he doesn't. This is this is what yeah. blows my mind. And it's, oh, well, I guess technically five. There is Brittany and Mike, which I get. Those are the kids that you should be helping. Okay. And then you get um, Tina isn't involved. I don't know why that she's not in this. Uh, probably because Will forgot she was there. Um, <laughs> the writers totally they, another he doesn't mention Blaine, but Blaine, who is a great student, is like, maybe I should come to this anyway. Oh, my God. And then Rachel. Well, and, and Santana, because Santana didn't have to go to booty camp either, did she? No, but she was out this episode. Oh, uh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, she's not in this this part of this there episode. There we go. And so I'm so, this, okay, one of the trends that I'm going to talk about all season until people are going to, like, shoot me is that the special treatment of Rachel, which is there in seasons one and two, I get that, but this very specific treatment of Rachel is going to just get exemplified and it's going to go extreme by the end of the season, but it starts really here. I mean, she, Rachel is not a dancer. We're going to spend all of season four talking about how Rachel's not a dancer. So why does she get to be exempt from this? Um, but yeah, I think you guys are exactly right. In any kind of performance... You know, you have everybody doing it. You have the best ones helping the, the weaker ones. But, the you know, you have to practice and repeat and do it as a team. I mean, this is a teamwork thing. You don't just let other people just sit out because they're too good or quote-unquote. But right. I mean, if, if this was a different type of show um, with what goes on and the way that Will treats Rachel, they would be making out in the closet uh, <laughs> because that's his undying... Uh, inappropriate love for her would be the actual backing of it. Um, but it, but it is very strange. I don't quite understand. I don't understand the motivation for 
singling people out other than eventually pushing Mercedes to the breaking point. Right. Um, Again, another thing... Of course, why would we construct an entire um, storyline to push her to the breaking point? Another thing I think is kind of unfair is that um, we get in the scene... Will is very compassionate towards um, Finn and his bad dancing. In a way that he's not towards Mercedes. And I, oh, I realize... Yeah. yeah, but that's a whole podcast is like... <laughs> yeah. We, and and we, did, <laughs> we did talk about that a lot in our Mercedes podcast. I, I recommend people go back and listen to that if they haven't. Um, yeah. But yeah, it is... Oh, God. Well, you are treating these kids very differently. And... It's Yet another example of Teacher of the Year, Will Schuster. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> more more Kurt-related, I think it's hilarious. I, and I know you shouldn't really do this in a, in, a, in a normal classroom, but I do think it's hilarious that Mike calls uh, Kurt out on his dancing. Yeah, and I, I did love the shimmy. <laughs> the sashay. <It's> super distracting. <laughs> and it wasn't until, I mean, it wasn't really until Santana called it out in season six and I was going back and starting the meta that I really noticed. He really does. I mean, bless his heart. He really has the same. It's not an untrue statement. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. But I will say Kurt dancing in the background is one of the entertaining points of some of these uh, uh, numbers. Um, Oh, and after being called out about that, we can talk about Kurt Hummel and his uh, choreography choices later on in this episode. (laughs) (laughs) As we probably should. Um, <laughs> so, and then the only other thing in the scene is um, they um, talk about Beast and Emma being the directors along with Artie, which of course is going to be an issue a little later on this episode. So, um, things that we get to skip. Um, the, the biggest thing that we, and we don't need to spend much of any or at all time on this, is that Shelby is back. And um, this starts a plot line that I think is got to be one of the worst plot lines that they've ever done on the show. Um, is Shelby is um, going to coach another choir. So she's just getting paid to sit there until she gets students. And then we get the Quinn and Pox part of it. Quinn is currently a um, punk rocker, you know, dropout behind the, you know, skinks. And Puck, God, I don't know. It's a mess. Quinn's going to want to steal the baby. Puck wants to hook up with Shelby. It uh, just is a mess it's of a storyline. It's indicative of the fact that they had run out of storylines for those two characters and should have graduated them at the end of the previous season. They should have, yeah. And I think it's unfortunate for Dina Menzel, who is a great actress, is a very wonderful vocalist, to give her this kind of shitty storyline. It doesn't surprise me she doesn't really come back after this because it, ugh, yuck. Yuck, yuck, yuck. Luckily, we don't have to talk about any of it, so. Yay! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's move on to more fashionable brooches. Okay. Like, since, even though we didn't talk about it at the beginning, I am in love with those duck brooches, and I kind of want them. Oh, he does have the best brooches. He does. And little accessories. This season, it, you know, is some, something I've noticed in my meta. It's either way off the wall crazy or he's actually scaled back into a more masculine-looking look, even though he'll have, like, the accents, like the, the bird brooches. So it's kind of this interesting duality going on. Um, for anybody who's looking for a thick idea, I would love one where 
accessories designer Kurt ends up designing brooches for uh, famous political brooch wearer Madeline Albright. <laughs> That'd be awesome. She loves she loves her brooches, and I feel like she would enjoy a Kurt Hummel original. She probably just would. throwing that out there. <laughs> How many people are gonna know who Madeline Albright is, though? Former Secretary of State. If y'all don't know this, I kind of feel like you should Google this. She's very very important. <sighs> this is this has been your history lesson for uh, well, Australian people who have no idea who you were talking about. Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna go back into my into my U.S. poly side corner over here. <laughs> Let us Americans educate you. No, not really. <laughs> Needless to say, uh, American politician who loves herself a good brooch. She <laughs> would love a her brooch. Well, American politics does does have us very very entertained here at the moment. Um, I apologize on behalf of Americans. <laughs> Oh man! Yes, yes, it's quite fascinating. <laughs> Luckily, by the time this airs, it should be hopefully. Oh, it will be over. Oh, I hope so. Yeah. This doesn't get aired until January, so thank. Hopefully, <laughs> God, it will be over. Hopefully, a little more sane. That's all I can wish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thinking. Um, moving on from that segue to. <laughs> I, there's no segue. Um, <laughs> there is no segue. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about Kurt Hummel's bulging pink fun sack. <laughs> really? Which I yeah. can't say it without laughing. Oh my god, it's I'm such bald. an adult. So apparently, it's my job to be able to say this uh, very sedately: <laughs> Kurt Hummel and his bulging pink fun sack. Oh man, it's like I'm 12. Okay. <laughs> so are the writers? They came up with it. One of my favorite things because it really is. There's no way that you can say it without being 12. And they did it on purpose, and it's very, very funny. And I love the fact that it's there, and we get to repeat his bulging pink fun sack so many times. I just wish I would have been in the room when Chris Colfer read the script for the first time. (laughs) I mean, I... I'm wondering how many times it took them to get through that scene. Like, was it something that they couldn't do without giggling? Was it something that they nailed on the first time? I I want to know if they nailed his bulging pink fun sack the first time they had to say it. <laughs> Seriously, I love this podcast. This is the entire reason I signed up for this one. <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh my god, I have to edit out my laughing. I, I you know I didn't. I wondered why you wanted to do this episode. I really did, and because a lot of people have like I really feel passionate about this song or this, you know, particular plot point, and I, I'm no, like, no. I'm like it's, oh. It's, it's the, pink <laughs> the minute I realized, I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> it becomes <laughs> very clear. It's going to be ten minutes of us talking about this. <laughs> um, uh, about what? About his bulging pink fun sack? One of these days I'll be sensitized to it, and I won't laugh. That but... day is not today. <laughs> today. I am the worst host ever. Okay. So, we're talking about uh, campaigning and Brittany making some incredible posters. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> I said I've tried to get most of them written down. I think I got most of them. She got the. It gets better with Kurt. <laughs> Ride the rainbow. No hate, as in H H-8. Mm-hmm. Yes, Kurt. Ride the rainbow. <laughs> pink, pink. <laughs> and silence equals death. <laughs> I love that they are so intense. But mixed with 
so much sparkle and pink, and it's basically if you had a very angry Les Miserables type uh, barricade, but run by My Little Pony. I wonder. <laughs> I wonder what and happened to these posters after they were done with them. Oh God, they could have auctioned that stuff off for so much money. <laughs> they auctioned off the the um the rain, the ones with him riding the unicorn. You know, they there was a whole because I remember there was a group on Tumblr that were all gonna like a group bid so that I could all get a post on. That's funny. And and from later in the episode, one of my favorite lines is, "Well, we toned it down because Unicorn <laughs> was right in you." I bet Chris Culver had them burned or something. I can see it being so like, oh god, why? <laughs> I just I really hope that they surprised him with it. Like the yeah. first time they recorded that scene was the first time he had seen them. I hope so, man. Because he, it, it's fantastic, and I love it. Yeah. And it's it's one of the types of ridiculous things that I love about Glee. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I this is this is what Glee really when it gets right, it, this kind of cracky ridiculousness yeah. is definitely it. So, and I I love um, that she's wearing a unicorn horn too. I mean, she's completely embraced this whole campaign strategy. She's in it. I mean, she is dedicated to this. Did um, we all manage to see what was inside the bulging pink I was just, <laughs> <laughs> I was just gonna say that. Hey, does it? What was in his bulging pink fun sack? Well, well um, I managed to see there was ruby slippers. Yep, ruby slippers. There's the a little telly unicorn, telly. a Teletubby, uh, um, burlesque, burlesque, burlesque DVD. Silence or what is that? I can't tell what that is. Silence equals death. I think it's another yeah. thing. Yeah, um, rainbow flag. Rainbow flags. Yep. And there was a few other bits and pieces I just couldn't. Yeah. Couldn't. <laughs> well, and the plan was to give a bulging pink fun sack to every student, right? Yeah. Right. But I just planned for that. Exactly. That's my question. Like, was she planning on coming into some lottery money? Well, do you guys like? Of course, yeah, we'll fund this. Do you guys remember in season four, she when um they do the Christmas episode, she's like, here, Tina, have a car. I don't know, like. She's just giving random stuff to people that's really expensive. So I maybe Brittany maybe, is maybe the mistake was us as a fandom thinking that Blaine was rich. Maybe we should have been going on Brittany. You know what? Friend. I figured it out. You know what it is? It's Lord Tumbling and Lord Tubbington and his gambling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, because earlier on in the scene with the posters, she's like, "We're going to make a hundred thousand copies of each." So she's planning on printing like. 500,000. <laughs> I wonder if she was one of the first uh, YouTubers to monetize YouTube with her fondue for two. She probably was. I mean, maybe. We just never saw it. She was getting sponsorships, and she was probably had like 3 million subscribers and made a lot of ad money. Like, I well, wonder. She's, she's a genius, isn't she? So maybe she was. This is true. Yeah. It's true. Maybe, maybe we had made a giant fandom mistake and should have been focusing on rich Brett. Oh man. You know, it's kind of sad. Lord Tummington is not in the scene and I don't think Kurt ever gets to meet. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I love Lord Tummington. Me too. I'm like, it's such a shame. Kurt, I don't think ever interacts with that cat. And uh, yeah, that's another thing. I'm very sad that Kurt and Blaine never were on fondue for two. I would have paid good money to see that. Um, we do get the line after Kurt sees all of this and is just aghast. 
Um, he's like, yeah. well, I feel like you might as well have a neon sign over my head that says gay, 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 gay. And well, I mean, you'll need a long extension cord, but I love it. <laughs> I was She's so supportive. You know, if, if she thinks that that's something that he wants to do, she's going to support him 100%. And I, I just love it. I love the Brittany and Kurt friendship because she doesn't question. Of course you want to have a neon sign hanging above your head. Let's make this work. Well, and, you know, it's kind of... Oh, go ahead. Well, she says to him, like, it's like, if I was joking, she's like, you need to, like, nudge me or blow a horn to let me know that you're telling a joke, that she's not quite. <laughs> Just please let me know. <laughs> Um, I, I think it's a little sad that they decided to take the campaign the way they did, because I think had they had Kurt and, and Brittany kind of come together on something, I think that would have been kind of fascinating that, you know, maybe yeah. Rick the Stick could have been the actual, like, adversary or whatever. I, you know, I don't know. I just think it would have been really kind of a more fun plotline than we got, because I think the, the plotline that we did get is kind of drab, to be honest with you. And then, but. like, we're set up like that Brittany has, you know, that Brittany's a unicorn, that she has all these ideas and things like that, and then literally does nothing with the presidency. Yeah. And it was a know, wasted opportunity. You know what? It's the yeah. long game for a makeover, the season four episode for Blaine yeah. goes her. <laughs> because it comes back in, in, in Commissaurus. Like, you've done nothing as president. You need to, basically, all she decided did as president was decided the theme of the prom. I wonder if they knew they were going to keep Brittany back here or if that's something that did, they didn't really think about until they got to the end. And they're like, Oh yeah, Brittany's a senior. Maybe we should <laughs> figure something out. I don't know. One of those things that we'll never know. <laughs> um, <coughs> sorry. Um, then we get, oh, the, the other thing that's interesting is then we get into what Kurt decides as his campaign. And it's really toned down. And it's interesting that Kurt in seasons one and two is like this Mr. Wear Loud Things to get noticed and whatnot. And here he's going about a campaign that's very toned down. Um, a black and white poster, which I, I adore. I love this poster. But um, it, it's just, I don't know. I think that. Kurt is changing a bit when we get into season three. I mean, he has this great support system. He has friends. He has a boyfriend. And he doesn't feel the need to be screaming to be heard the way he used to be. Mm-hmm. But then I suppose I look at it in a way like he his issue with Brittany is that, you know, I don't want to be just known as Kurt Hummel homo sort of worrying about the stereotypical gay. Is his own poster any less stereotypical than Britney's? Like when he tells the story of Judy Garland and the black fur coat and, and all of this stuff and, and Britney responds with, oh, you should tell that story because that's so unicorn. So she's sort of saying, okay, what you want to do, it's the complete opposite, but it's kind of the same in the sense of the image that you're presenting. If Am I making sense? Oh, no, yeah, that's perfect. His, his idea of toning it down is still toning it Sorry. down in a way that is stereotypically gay yeah and Brittany's like you should embrace that yeah well and it kind of leads into this is kind of a nice little segue um into something that's a really big theme of this um of this episode of you know Kurt being quote-unquote the stereotypical stereotypical effeminate gay boy um can he pass or can he not pass and had he um, gone his own way 
and done his own campaign, he would still be a unicorn. He would still fit what people say about him. And I don't know. It's just kind of interesting. Yeah, like, if you think about, like, the target audience, his posters are not going to help him any more than Britney's. And I'd say Britney's posters would probably be more successful just for the pure entertainment factor that That people would respond to them. Um, So, yeah. I'm not sure what's going with that. I know, I kind of think that, I think that one of the really great things that Brittany brings up, not directly, um, is kind of no matter what you do, you're going to be a unicorn. You know, that's mm-hmm. just who you are. Yep. You should embrace that. You shouldn't try to run away from that. And I think that's what the episode is trying to tell Kurt, even though I think it fumbles a little bit. Um, I, I think that the point is, you know, you are you. You might as well go along and be you. You do you. You do you. Um, I will say, one thing that I like about, that comes out of this, is that Blaine manages to get his hands on a copy of a small version of that poster, and keeps it by his bedside. (laughs) Can you blame him? No. (laughs) (laughs) Just, I can see him just, before he goes to bed, and he gets in his covers, and he's just like, good night, Kurt, and like, strokes it, and then goes to bed. Oh, oh how have we not made any? Does Blaine get a, a um one of his? Curbs, oh. I can't even say it. Go ahead. Bulging pink fans. There we go. Are, are we asking if Blaine is able to go through and rummage around with Kurt's bulging pink fun sack? Does he get the the you know the party trick inside? I mean, come on. Does well, maybe, he uh, maybe have to wait until episode five before he can get? <laughs> Does he, does he get his hands on Kurt's bulging pink fun sack? <laughs> does, he really, does he really handle it? Does he know what's involved? I hope he does. I hope he appreciates Kurt's bulging pink fun sack. Yeah. Cherishes it. He does. <laughs> it's special, you know? It's, yeah. Since they weren't able to mass produce it, he may have the only... Bulging pink fun sack. <laughs> We're gonna make him cry. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see as an aside? Oh my god, I can't talk. Did you, <laughs> Did you see? Um, you reblogged one of the podcasts. And Slayer Kitty did too. And she's like, "You guys should have come and have fun on this podcast and drive uh, space roving crazy." <laughs> yes. If anybody is listening and would like to join in the fun, uh, we really do take it as a uh, a personal personal best to see if we can get space orbs into the point where she's laughing so hard she's crying. So come join us, sign up. We would love to have you. I think you win this one. <laughs> Is, is it because of the bulging pink fun sack? Oh my god. <laughs> I have just been up too long. <laughs> okay. You know as it we is. solve that? The goodies in a bulging pink fun sack. Oh, <laughs> uh, we freaking space for them. What do you want me to say? I'm like crying now. <laughs> this is the point where I kind of wish there was video. This would be the point where your head is down on the desk going, what have I gotten myself into? No, I'm just, I can't even talk. (laughs) (laughs) The only time, what was it that I just could not talk? It was just so funny. I couldn't even speak. I don't remember what podcast it was, but I had to like, we, 
we stopped for like five minutes because I couldn't. While, while you composed yourself. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you were on whatever it was. <laughs> so what scene are we on now? We talked about his bulging pink fun sack and uh, we are now at desire to rubbage through it. We are at um. Harass it. Ban you. Take it with him. I am so glad you're not on the first time one. I, I, I'm fully aware that that would have just devolved How, into something that would have been a four hour for the love of God, stop talking. <laughs> um, I did put you on Big Brother, though, so <laughs> that's good. We'll see. So looking forward to that. Oh, big Brother as well. Because I'm on Big Yay! Brother. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about other people's bulging pink fun sacks. <laughs> like Hooper's bulging pink fun sack. But would Cooper ever learn if Berlang was in possession of Kurt's body? <laughs> I'm not sure. I kind of feel like Fanfic could teach me a little bit about that. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. Now it's two against one. Okay. <laughs> would you like to move on to something more serious? Yeah. How about a little harder? Like Kurt's like acting? Uh, okay. No, we're actually... Um, okay. Don't do that again. We're talking about... Um, uh, uh, Junior Gate, 2011. Yes. Uh, oh, booty God, camp. Yeah. yeah, we have to... Before we get to Junior Gate, oh, sure. I just need to say that Blaine needs to wear those tracky pants <laughs> on a much, much higher <laughs> And if that, they, that needed to be a staple of his wardrobe. And the fact that we really only saw him in them that once. Oh, that is true. I, I think that's a very good point. I mean... He mm. wore mm. them very well. I mean, he's got the ass for it. It's yes. not something that you can really show off with a with the flat bottom. And if there's anything that we can accuse Blaine Anderson of having, it's not having a flat bottom. You know, that's why that line in in season five when Sam like gets that bubble butt thing, and he's like, <laughs> "Now the guys can all have the onion booties they want." And, and, and Blaine is so confused. He's like, "I go with Blaine's it. just like that's a Tuesday for me." <laughs> I'll show Kurt. Sure. Just. But um, yeah. So, Buddha camp. Kurt's doing jazz hands. Finn looks like he's stepping on bees. That is really funny. That's going to be my new description of his dancing. He looks like he's stepping on bees. Well, it is canon. Um, uh, and, yeah. Um, but there is, there is actually some um, content in this scene. Yeah. I'm just never going to stop laughing. Okay. <laughs> uh, we get the two of them talking, and um, we get this revelation that, first of all, Blaine is a junior. And I... Why? That's how I feel about that. <laughs> I still... That's how I I, I don't really fully understand what their purpose was when, you know, I know that they were still contemplating the spinoff after this season with Finn and Rachel and Kurt in New York. Why not bring Blaine? I mean, was he just such a big music cash cow they wanted to cash in on it? I, I don't know. I mean, it could be that they were afraid that if they took the ones they wanted to take off for a New York spinoff and they wanted to keep Glee going they would need somebody there left that was a draw. And Darren Chris was a draw. 
Yeah. Um, At the same time, already, Kurt and Blaine were such a unit that it, it just, I don't know. I also think that it's just one of those that they didn't think that far, and if they had decided to spend them all off, they would have just had him graduate early with all of his uh, Dalton credits. <laughs> like, he, he, they would have been like, oh, BT Dubs, we decided that you weren't actually a junior. Uh, we got all of those courses approved. You're now graduating, so have fun. Wait, could you have imagined, though? They would have, no, I think they would have kept him at McKinley, but then they would have had Kurt go off to New York and have all of these adventures with um, dating, and it just, oh, God. Okay, whatever. Lack uh, of planning. Yeah. So, I mean, I, 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 get, I get why they make, made that decision, because this year, I think, comes down to um, Darren Chris being that draw and, you know, the music machine that, that they sort of turned him into season three and four, like, you know, he was singing a lot. Um, so I get that they sort of wanted to keep him in McKinley for that draw, but it was just frustrating that they just sort of thought so little of the audience that they would just expect us to just accept it without getting up in arms. Like, you know, that would season two, it was built on Blaine being the mental figure. He was, you know, the way that it was portrayed was he was the older one. And if that was the way they wanted to play it, I kind of wish that they had made a little side comment like, well, since none of my credits transferred, I'm still a junior. Yeah. You know, because they could make it make, and I'm making air quotes, quote unquote, sounds. Yeah. um, At least in Glee universe. Um, But they didn't even try. No. So I'm going to go with McKinley doesn't recognize uh, credits from other schools, even though probably in Dalton, he was taking like Calc 2 and (laughs) they were like, well, we're not sure what calculus is, so we're going to put you in algebra too. That's a math yeah. class, right? <laughs> and once again, he goes home and does not tell his parents this because they will rightfully question his desire to return to public school. Mm-hmm. Well, and I... I just... McKinley's not a great school. No, it's not a great school. That's just not. The other thing that I think is unfortunate, and I know that at the beginning of the season, Darren was also filming Girl Most Likely. So his screen time was limited. But at the same time, in season two, he was, yes, connected to Kurt the whole time, but he also kind of had a story too. I mean, I do think that he had some a little bit of development. I think in the beginning of season three, he just... It isn't really even until Big Brother that he gets anything to do. That's why a lot of these podcasts are still going to be very Kurt-focused, because Blaine's just kind of there. He's not really doing he's, much. He's just there looking pretty. Yeah. More of a prop in Kurt's story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which yeah, is... Than yeah. a character in his own. Well, and then the, talking about really what the meat of this scene is, is the idea that Kurt is going to go out for Tony in West Side Story. And um, Blaine is is thinking about it too. And it kind of starts this interesting dynamic about, you know, here are these two people that, that are dating. This is kind of, I don't know if it's strict. Yeah. It's kind of a unique thing to a queer couple that they're both going out for this same part. Um, and then it also raises issues that here Blaine can pass and Kurt can't. And I, I don't know. There's just a lot of interesting things there to, I think that that a lot of people, whether it's, you know, um, a queer couple or a very close friendship you have with someone of the same sex um, who are in theater, you have these moments where 
you're not trying to compete. Um, it's not a, a going out of your way to compete the same way that Rachel does um, a lot of times with her friendships. But there's a certain there's a certain show that you're doing. There are a certain number of parts, and inevitably you may be going up for the same parts and you have this realization, no matter how much you want to ignore it, that one person is a lot better fit for what this role is as opposed to the other one. Yeah. Well, and I think that's the other thing. I mean, I know that, you know, people are like, Oh, you can be versatile. You can do a lot of things. But I think what, sometimes people don't realize is that Holly, Holly, I mean, everything from high school musicals all the way up to Hollywood, you get typecast. You do get a lot of times certain roles based on who you are, or how you present yourself or, you know, what a lot of it is your physical appearance, yep. you know, it, and there's only so much you can do to change it. Uh, like I'm, I'm not going to be in West side story because I'm not Puerto Rican. I'm just, I'm not, um, and I kind of feel like all these white kids should not be either. But that's an entirely different discussion. Oh, my gosh. Um, but, you know, when you're coming up against some of these, you know, traditionally uh, masculine characters, Lane is a much more obvious cast And I think kind of, um, I think we can jump to I'm the Greatest Star at this point, um, because there is something else that I'd like to address before we get into the kind of the nitty gritty of his performance. um, I, while I think this is a fantastic performance for Kurt, he did, he nailed that song. He's amazing in it. He, this song is not indicative, indicative to this musical. He did not show it off. Is a, it, he did a very good job with the song, but it is a terrible audition piece. Yes. For this role. It is not at all similar to what the role calls for. It is not anything that would indicate to anyone casting that role that, yeah, this he would be a good choice for it. And number one, I really wish that they had a theater teacher. Yeah. 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 Emma and beast are not exactly the most appropriate choices. Uh, Appropriate. is not the right word, but no, they're not the appropriate choices. They're not somebody who knows how to cast these sorts of roles, even in a high school setting. Yeah. And neither is already. And I wish that somebody would have helped these kids with their audition pieces. Yeah. Like this is, this is, not a good choice and I wish that there had been somebody who could have done you know that would have been a better role for Shelby Shelby should have been the better yeah, teacher she, oh that would have made so much more sense that would have been so much better oh god please plus, come on why did they get to sing more than 32 bars like this is not at all what any sort of audition no it's <laughs> not like in any sort of way and they're going no and no. with a full band I mean Audition scaffolding. You know, if he was auditioning, this is unlike any theater audition I have ever gone to. No. Yeah. Well, in most theater auditions, I don't think a lot of people know this. You are not actually on stage. You actually go into a small little room, and you, uh, you know, the people are usually like right there. There's a piano. You sing your song, you know, whatever, and then you leave. That's how that works. But your whole song, you get like 32 bars of it. Mm -hmm. So you pick you pick the portion of the song that's going to show off 
the range that is needed for the character you are auditioning and in the style of the show that you're doing. And then following up with Blaine, you don't do a song from the show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, we'll, I mean, we'll talk about Blaine. We'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get to that. But, yeah, no, you don't. You do something that's like it, something that can prove that you have the um, same range. Experience, same range, same... Uh, and I, I had to wonder... Um, getting into the song a little bit, um, I, I'm going to start with the end and when Kurt brings out the, the size, which I, first of all, this is, it was a Chris Colfer thing. He's a ninja it's, and he's really actually quite amazing. I mean, like if you ever see any of his BTS stuff where he does it, it's really fantastic. And actually I, you know, I'm going to throw this out there. Um, anything that where it's just Chris doing this is actually pretty hot. But like this whole Kurt thing is, oh my God, oh my God, stop <laughs> But they shouldn't have had that as part of his song. They should have, you know, written a portion where Kurt decides he wants to be a ninja. You know, and I wondered if that, you know, I, I don't know if it was just that Chris could do it or if it was also Tony is supposed to be this badass kind of character. Maybe I should do my side work and that will make it show. I mean, it's, it, I don't know, but it's just awkward. It, it was just wrong all the way around. When I was reading up on the episode, I read a, a quote from somewhere. It was like that. This performance is Kurt's ability to make a talented ass of himself, which I think sums it up. <laughs> That's the best way to put that. I know, but. and we, I, we should preface this, we say this with a lot of love, <laughs> but it is, I, you know, we have to call the spade a spade. It is not right for this audition. It comes down to him, it's that when, and Kurt has a pattern of doing this, of trying too hard. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you, we think about, like, his before, like, this one's probably there along with, you know, we've got Not the Boy Next Door, we've got Story of My Life where he's, you know, trying to do something to to make himself stand out, things like that. And then we get his performances like I Want to Hold Your Hand, Being Alive and Blackbird where he's not he's not trying to do that and they are the, the, the ones that have more impact. The performance of structure. I mean, he needs, yeah. a, he needs a teacher or a mentor or somebody who can say, um, this is a terrible choice. Yeah. You're going to do this because this fits with your voice. Yeah. Um, he, he desperately needs a better teacher than Will. Yeah. Um, because Will does not seem interested mm-hmm. in giving this sort of instruction, which is why, now that I have thought about it, we really should have gotten Shelby as a theater teacher. Oh yeah, where where she could go. Um, no, this is this is not a good idea. You're going. I'm going to give you the sheet music to this song. You're going well, to come that. back and sing this. And in I, this very episode, we got that conversation with Shelby and Rachel. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Where she helped Rachel with her audition uh-huh. to help choose a better song for that. Well, I'm thinking about this song. I mean, this song is from Funny Girl. The song is about Fanny Bryce trying to show off what she can do. And I can see that Kurt is like, hey, let me show off what I can do. But, you know, in Funny Girl, it's it's the correct context. And even yeah. though, again, Kurt is really amazing. I'm not going to downplay the fact that his performance isn't just awe-inspiring, if anything. It, it, it's amazing and he does so well, but it's just not the right context. And on top of that, when you throw in the Psy thing at the end, the juxtaposition of this kind of crazy Psy ninja stuff with this, you know, funny girl-ness, it, it, it's so jarring when I think about it. Uh. One thing that I do adore, um, <clears throat> as, as, 
you know, on top of the ridiculousness of it, was that one of the guys at the tire shop helped him build the scaffolding. Yeah. And I just kind of wish that we had had that question. It's like, hey, can you help me build this because of this reason? It's like, yeah, of course. Why, <laughs> why wouldn't I build you audition scaffolding? <laughs> like, well, I could almost with, see. Like, with no one at the school concerned with the occupational health and safety aspects of this. Absolutely I mean, not. <laughs> I feel like that's the least. You know of what, though? Stories. I can almost see an ocean nightmare <laughs> in another context where Dad, where Kurt's like, "Dad, I need this scaffolding," and the bird's like, "You, you're gonna build this for my son now." <laughs> I'm, I'm still gonna hold out hope that it was like one of the guys who's like, "Yeah, no, I'm totally gonna do this for you. This is amazing and ridiculous." <laughs> And I, this is totally going to impress my boss because why wouldn't I build you giant scaffolding for your teenage son who wants to flip on it while then twisting knives? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I kind of wish that we had gotten more Kurt in the garage. I wish yeah. that we had gotten more of that because that is uh, that is one of the things that I love to imagine. Um, kind of on another note, though, I the one thing that makes me a little frustrated with this episode, though, is that they go, they they don't discuss that this uh, this particular audition is wrong. Um, they never give Kurt a chance to really be, and we'll talk about the Romeo and Juliet thing in a minute. But um, oh. they never let Kurt really audition the way he should be auditioning. And I know part of that can be, you know, well, he's growing up, he's learning, whatever. But they frame it with the can he pass, can he not pass, and I don't think that's necessarily a fair way to look at what is going on here. Again, um, this is a big issue if you don't have a theater teacher or a, you know, community theater professional mm-hmm. who is helping out with this. Because when I think about the, you know, musicals and plays that happened in my high school, we had a theater teacher. We had a, you know, a person who was very active in community theater um, come in and be involved in the musicals. And these were people who knew what they were looking for. And because you're, you know, 14, 15, 16, 17, they would be like, okay, um, that's not what you want to do. Let's restart. Um, try it this way. This is what you should do for an audition. See, and that's really nice. I came from a very small public school where the teacher that did it, did the musicals had been the drama teacher for like 30 years and she was not very good if the if you know and she would fit the kids like oh your personality is kind of like this here you go um so she wasn't good and we didn't get any training in acting and it was miserable so i do think that unfortunately kurt's experiences aren't exactly 100 percent unique because there are really bad theater programs out there as well in high school yes but are they run by the guidance teacher no. the football coach <laughs> see ours was the, ours was the french teacher <laughs> Okay. She well, no, she did have some background in theater, though. <laughs> I, our, our musicals were done by the choir director and one of the um, community theater mainstays. So we we lucked out with some people who actually knew what they were doing and were willing to show people. It, it's kind of funny as a kind of a side note. If anybody really. I don't know. It's just a personal thing. Um, that my my dad is a band or he was before he retired was a band director, and he actually stopped um, directing the orchestra for the, the high school musicals because they were so bad. He's like, I can't. He's like, this is so unprofessional, even at a high school level. That he's like, I can't do it. And the we actually had um, members of the community come in who were very 
very good musicians. And they're like, we don't want to waste our time, you know, with this. So you get your own orchestra. <laughs> so that's how bad, that's how bad it was. <laughs> so. Oh, the state of music education in the world. <clears throat> Man. But, yeah, so, yeah, that's Kurt's audition. It, it's, such a, it's such a terrible audition. But it was it's so bad. And I cringe every time I go through it. Yeah. Because I know how it is up. The reactions from the judges at the end, they're, like, applauding him and cheering him like they're really impressed by what he's done. Okay. So they're sort of giving him this false. Yep. Yeah, Herman Thibodeau did the same thing. In fact, I must say, yeah, it's the same, the exact same thing happened to him with his Miata audition, you know, got told, you know, how awesome he was and then cut, like, um... That's sort of, you know, well, shit, I actually had not thought about it as a mirror to his piano yeah. audition. That, it that came, makes it all the more painful. Yeah, it does. Hold on just a second, guys, because my brother's alarm is going off, and I don't know if you can hear it, but I can, and it's driving me nuts. So I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> so we, the next thing that we get is, yeah, it's uh, Beast and Artie and um, Emma. It has one of my most egregious ranty lines in it of the whole show. Uh -huh. um, I'm sure yeah. you know what it is. <laughs> Where uh, um, it's... Alright, fine. We'll just go there first. Uh, Emma says that Kurt has toothpick arms. And um, first of all, she has toothpick arms, if anybody wonders what that is. Um, also, I don't know how many of you people have ever met Chris Colbert. That kid has got some muscles on those arms. And never, ever, even in season one, I've been watching, has this kid have two thick arms. So the, that kind of comment, it just drives me up the wall. Why? Why? Well, I don't know. I don't well, know. I kind of feel like a lot of times they're commenting on what they think Kurt should look like. Yeah. As opposed to what Chris Colfer as Kurt looks like. Yep. Um, which for those of us who are watching watching the show, it's... Um, it's a little bit strange because of all the things that I feel like you could make fun of Kurt for and comment on his appearance on toothpick arms isn't one of them, especially after swinging the fuck out of that scaffold. Right. Yeah. I mean, Oh man. But that's, I, I think that they do, they have, I think that's exactly what it is, is that they have this idea of who Kurt is probably this like really skinny, effeminate, like, gay kid or whatever and what Kurt actually looks like and you know because what Chris actually looks like is something different and I think that they changed that a little bit going into seasons four five and six I think that how they talk of Kurt I mean yeah they still make fun of some things that are legitimate things to make fun of but um they kind of go away from this presentation of Kurt that they want people to think Kurt as that it would kind of be like saying you know who doesn't have a juicy booty? Blaine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he just doesn't. And you're sitting there going, but my eyes tell me that that's completely opposite as I'm sitting here watching this on TV. Well, and it's like, so. um, we'll, we'll obviously talk way more about this in the first time, but Chris actually offered to do the last scene shirtless. And they're like, no. <laughs> I mean, part of that's probably censors anyway, but I'm like, you know, he could have told, I mean, whatever. Whatever. Anyway, moving on oh. to the actual scene. <laughs> um, I find Beast in this one just 
so out of line where she she's talking about she wants a Tony that excites her lady part. So this is a teacher talking about students yep. to start off with. And, you know, that you're saying that Hummel's too much of a lady. But what's fascinating here is the fact this gender discussion coming from Beast, you know, considering the development of her character. Um, I, I chalk that up to them not have but at the same time beast even if when when beast was presented as a woman it wasn't a typical looking woman either so for right. beast to say that is kind yeah, of hypocritical as anyway yeah as but as a teacher, teacher it's just she's she's been finding these um stereotypes that people have of her and things like that and here she is putting the exact same sort of assumptions onto a student and talking I, about I found it the in a really gross out of character yeah really yeah. out of character it's so it's so not like at the start of the scene when she's like oh he owned that song like because he's prison bitch I'm like yeah beast and then it just descends into that and it's just um it's really gross and just like, especially, you know, I want a Tony that excites my lady parts. And it's like... If ugh. anybody is wondering about things that you should never say as a teacher about a student... Yes. That yes. example... There's a student in the room. Yeah. When she's saying that, and it's just... Ugh. It is. It's all and kinds of icky. And I think that, as we talked about, there's a lot of reasons that um, Kurt shouldn't have gotten Tony... But none yep. of them are the ones that were talked about in this room. And nope, that, that is, doesn't have to do with anybody's lady parts. Right. So. <laughs> well, it doesn't even really have to do with the idea of uh, passing or not passing either. Because, it, you know, we'll see. His it's, voice just isn't a good match for Tony. Right. His, he's yeah. just, just not a good match for Tony. And it doesn't have to be anything about... Anything that they talk right, about. Right, about his presentation, about his sexuality. I mean, we'll find out, and, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, later on, and as Kurt develops and as Klein develops as this really romantic and um, more sexualized, you know, I mean, even in three episodes, it, Kurt's going to be one half of a romantic lead. It, so it cracks me up that they're like, oh, you know, later on he's going to talk about not being able to play you know, in a rom-com, but he is in himself in a romantic storyline. And Kurt is in as, you know, people like Kurt just as much as they like Blaine. It goes both ways. So it seems false that I know that the show wanted to present this as a thing that happens and it does. I'm not saying it doesn't, but it's just so messy and muddled. And I just think that they don't write it as clearly as they could have. Well, I think that it suffers from them having an end point that they just decided, they decided on the end point instead of the journey. Yeah. And so they wanted to get to the point where Kurt and Blaine were competing for a uh, role that Blaine is very obviously better suited for. And to make it, to get it to that point, instead of taking the time to make it make sense, they did this. Yep. Are you on top of it? Kind of annoys me too is that later on, because of the, all of the Mercedes Rachel stuff, they're going to double cast that. But it's not even yeah. in their reign, the, their realm of thinking to double cast Tony. So. Yeah. yeah. So obviously Kurt's 
understandably devastated to hear this. I mean, yeah, don't go poking your nose in where you might get hurt, but I, I still. It's one thing to hear from from a teacher that you're not well suited for the part. Right. You know, yeah. anybody who has ever done any auditioning or tryouts or any sort of competition, music, sports, debate, whatnot, has had that moment of, you're just not a good fit for this. Right. You know, it's something that you have to get through. You have to learn how to take it. Right. But it's another thing to hear the sorts of personal yeah. cut downs yep. that he was subjected to. Yep. And this is, this season, it's kind of funny. We, I, I talked a bit about this in Purple Piano Project, that if season two was kind of this nice, slow climb up for Kurt, Season three starts to be this just descent into misery because he's just going to start losing one thing after another, after another. It's going to just keep getting worse and worse until we hit season four. And that's like rock bottom. Um, so he can't win. He just cannot win. He, he, he really though. (laughs) Do you guys read my, my, I'll just say that for later. Um, I just, there, what eps, I don't know what it, it was one of the like eight or nine or something and Kurt's like I've lost everything and I'm like including your virginity and because <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't lose that he knows exactly where he put that <laughs> I feel like uh, Blaine took his virginity just like he took his bulging pink fun sack <laughs> oh man but now we're going to get to the point where Space Orphan can't talk it again. <laughs> not there yet. <laughs> is that a challenge? It's, it is not. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. No. Um, but no, uh, more seriously, though, that's, again, I, you know, there are, how do I put this? I think there's some relevance into saying, you know, you're not going to win this. You're not going to win the political, uh, the, the campaign. You're not going to win whatever, or you're not going to get in Deniata or whatever, but it's just piled on and all of the rest of the students in their senior year, except for Brittany, which they don't seem to care about, are going to succeed in a, in a lot of different ways. And Kurt is just not. And it just pisses me off as a Kurt fan. <laughs> I mean, I, come on. I, I, I am a Kurt fan. I love, I adore Kurt. Um, and I think that the losses for him were easier to take um, were the losses that it made sense that he lost. Right. So losing Tony, it makes sense that he lost that he wasn't a good fit. Right. I can undersee, I can understand and see why he wouldn't uh, win class president because of, you know, who he's up against and popularity. I do not understand how he did not get into Niata. Yeah, that's, well, audition. That's, the, that's the one that made me angry because you have something that he very obviously crushed and then well and that's the other thing like here and the campaign and um the uh, tony stuff this is all kind of kurt as an individual person here when we get more into the niata stuff and god you guys will hear me rant about this it becomes more about servicing rachel's story and they had an endpoint that they needed to get to Mm -hmm. and they didn't care how it made sense that they got there right or what character they kind of trampled over to do it. Well, Finn gets trampled pretty well over, too. But, I, uh, man. So, yeah, that's, yeah, season three. Maybe. Um, so, Kurt's walking down the hall, and he's obviously very devastated about all this. And then he sees the, the, the posters that Brittany are putting up. And that's the thing about 
you know, these, these, the Beast and Emma and already talking about this stuff, it makes him doubt his worth as a unicorn. So he sees Brittany putting up all of these sparkly things, and he's now kind of in this, I'm ashamed of who I am, I'm, I'm never going to be, you know, accepted even at my best for who I am. I don't want to show this and spread this all in the world. So that's why he starts tearing down those posters. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> I concur. Um, the next thing he does, is, oh God, Kurt, this is just the most misguided thing. Um, so he's like, well, if they don't see me as Tony, maybe they can see me as Romeo. Oh, my poor baby. Again, this could be solved by a caring theater teacher who could instruct him as to how this was seven shades of terrible. Yeah. It was a terrible, terrible idea. Yeah. I, I kind of likened it back to laryngitis where, or sexy, um, where he's trying to be, or even later on when he's trying to impress June, he's trying to be this thing that he, other people want. His idea. Well, he's trying to be his idea of what other people want. Right. And it doesn't work. I mean, we all know that Kurt can be very romantic and be very sensual. I mean, we're going to see it really soon. But this is just a mess, again, because he's trying to be uh, something that he's not. But uh, This also makes me wonder, has he ever seen West Side Story? Has he ever watched the movie? Has he ever listened to the soundtrack all the way through? Is he aware is he aware? Which, again, a theater teacher would be like, you should check this out. Yeah. This is yeah. this is what we're looking for. Well, it makes me wonder if he's even seen Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> I think he's seen the Zeffirelli version of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's my thing. I mean, because I actually think that given... I think that Shakespeare actually might work in Kurt's favor, but... It, but even no, Romeo, he would be an uh, amazing, like, pop. I'd yeah. love to see him as Puck. Absolutely. Uh, oh, man. And then, you know, that's the other thing. Okay, so it's bad enough that... I reckon he could villain role as well. Oh, what'd you say, uh, hon? Yeah. I reckon that he could, like, kill one of the villain roles, like Kurt as Iago. Oh, yeah. Kurt as Iago would be amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, there, are a lot, there are a lot of roles that somebody like Kurt would do very well at. Yes. It's just not this role. No. Nor should it be the, the, I guess we'll get to this when we get to Bart, but nor should it be his goal either. This is not the only thing. There are some great character actors that we all know. There are great people who only play villains. There are, you know, even Chris is, is good for doing this. I mean, I mean, you don't have to be Mr. Rom-Com to succeed in life. You don't have to be Meryl Streep. Yeah. Who could... Who could literally play Batman and I would watch it. <laughs> that would be um, awesome. <laughs> Let's petition I, for that. I, that was one of my favorite portions of Modern Family going, Meryl Streep could play Batman and it would be <laughs> amazing. Um, but there are a lot of people who have a type and the type works and they're good at that. And that's not a terrible thing. And it's certainly not a terrible thing as an actor. No. It's, it's how you pay your rent. Yeah. Um, the thing that also makes me mad is that, again, you get these authority figures who are laughing at a student's audition, which is so out of line. You say, I okay. Get, I get so angry at that point. I yeah. get so angry. To me, this, this scene, 
this particular moment is probably the, the time I actually feel the worst for Kurt. Um, with all the things that he, he gets put through in this show, the bullying, um, the assault in season five and things like that, you know, this isn't coming from bullies. This isn't coming from strangers. This is coming from people that he trusts. Mm-hmm. Like his this friends. Like his friends and his educators. His yeah. friends and his educators who sh- he should be able to feel safe with these people and they're laughing at him. And what is even more infuriating is that there is zero follow-up. We never see an apology from any of them to mm-hmm. him in what they do to him in this scene. Well, and the thing is, I know that, you know, all of the, you know, they know better. And in other situations, they haven't done it. You know, Beast, as a football coach, goes through tryouts, and there are people who try out who are not great. Yeah. And you don't laugh at them through that. You just, you know, this isn't a good fit for you. Right. Um, Emma, as a guidance counselor, you don't be like, you're having a terrible time. No. No, this is not what you do. They all know better. They all have better poker faces. Yeah. And I, again, this is something that the writers were trying to service an endgame yeah. and decided to just throw all of the characterizations out the window and have them mock Kurt, which is yeah, just, right. it's heartbreaking. And like, and like Rachel laughing at him, well, Rachel, your performance wasn't that great either. So, yeah. well, she was more just this you were just as over the top as he was. She was laughing. I don't understand why you think that she would be over the top. <laughs> the thing that gets me, though, is that she was laughing when he's, like, you know, ready to kiss her. And to her, this is what even drives me crazier. The, to her, like, the in this moment, the thought of kissing him was like, what? He's like my brother. You know, I would never kiss him. And it, it comes out. And it just... Like, you're being so unprofessional as an actress, Rachel, even though you're like, I'm off book, whatever. You know, it's been five minutes and I'm off book. And I'm like, oh, my God. So you're laughing at your friend because of this whole, you can't really imagine being romantic with him. And it just, I'm like, oh, my God. It's just so cringeworthy. Because, yeah. I disagree with everybody in the scene. Everybody in the scene. Mm -hmm. So. Um, Oh, and I was going to say, the way Beast and Emma treat the Mercedes racial stuff is so much with they, they treat it so much, so much more seriously. Like, Oh, we have these two people. They're really great. We can't decide. Let's try and actually figure this out. But with Kurt, it's just so dismissive, you know, and that's not to underplay. I do think Blaine is right for the part. I do think he does a great job. We'll talk more about that at the end, but the fact that they don't even let him try is, is just, or even give him and say, hey, let's reset, let's do it this way. Again, going back to that he needs a, a good coach, a good co- te- acting coach. I really um, hope that, you know, for kids who were considering auditioning for a uh, school or community show for the first time, don't take that as um, this is what happens. It doesn't. No. I promise. Oh, can, I, can I tell you guys a really fun side story real quick? Um, I was watching um, Sweet Dreams, seasons four Sweet Dreams, when Rachel's auditioning for Funny Girl with Don't Stop Believing. And a, a really good friend of mine is an actor in New York um, who's uh, done some off-Broadway stuff. He hasn't made it Broadway yet, but he's, he's very good. And I was talking to him when I was watching this, and I said, hey, Jay, what would ha- like if I decided to you know, go to Broadway and sing Don't Stop Believing for an audition piece, what do you think? And he's like, well... Maybe if you were doing Rock of Ages, maybe. I said, well, what if it was for Funny Girl? And I'm, like, texting him, and there's a long, long, long pause. And he goes, 
Well, I would I would think that your accompanist might not be you know as going along with it and probably suggest something else. Your director might stop you before you really get started. And oh, honey, please don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, it's not me. It's it's on Glee. And he's like, oh God, no. <laughs> so yeah. Again. No. Somebody needs to instruct these kids on ways to pick proper audition pieces. I mean, when Cooper probably gives the worst, best advice or best, worst advice. I just... Cooper! <laughs> At least he's, it's, it's actual advice. but It is actual advice. <laughs> and I hope that while she uh, is choosing these things, she's pointing to prove that yes. she's serious. <laughs> but, yeah, no. I always wanted him to end up undressed somewhere on the show. I'm sorry, I got distracted there for a moment. We were talking about auditioning? <laughs> I don't know why Maybe that's so funny. Maybe he's interested in a bulging uh, pink fun sack. Oh, man. Anyway. Um, but, yeah, no, this... I guess we could, like, circle around over and over again that this is just unprofessional and really awful to Kurt, and I don't know if it services the point that they're trying to make as well as they could have if they've given like an actual legitimate situation and not something that's ridiculous so it would have been very easy to get to the end point of kurt is upset that he didn't get the part and also slightly upset that blaine did without having to go through this whole gross viciousness yes scene. yeah, yeah. I mean, and it was because he's not right for the part. It's not like they had to make up anything. He's just not right for the part. Right. And I, I mean, it is a comedy. They are trying to play it off for actual laughs. But it, it, Chris plays it a little too sincere for it to be straight up comedy. I mean, he's not so bad that it's just hilariously over the top comical. It's Kurt actually trying. And that's, I think, what makes it sad. And, and kudos to Chris for doing it that way instead of straight up comedy. But. Yeah. My poor baby. <laughs> so we move into um, the garage and we get Finn is actually not very much in this in this um, episode, probably because they were trying to keep him away from the West Side Story stuff. It's interesting that he doesn't try out. Um, I don't remember if they gave a reason for that other than him. Well, he busy. sort of says that now because she Rachel's. You know, saying that the field for Tony is wide open. So, you know, she's just gone through that best friend. She's not really feeling very sorry about what she did. did not she? to mention um, he's sitting behind her like 10 feet. <laughs> yeah. And he, Finn sort of said, because he's concentrating on football, because oh, of the, the, guy, the scout coming and, work, and he's been working at the shop and things like that. So that's what he said is that um, that's what he's focusing on. And Which is a legitimate concern. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Football takes up a lot of time. Not to mention, if that's what he's going to school, wants to go to school for, whatever he wants to do, I can understand that. Um, right. Rachel just needs to get over this. Rachel. Well, that's what she says to him. She's like, she says something like, you're better than that. And it's like, well, we, in hindsight, we know that staying in Lima is what he was meant to do. Like, to stay and become a teacher, and that is what he would have excelled at. And sort of, she's sort of squashing that. I really hate the tendency of the show to present the idea that if you didn't go into the arts professionally, yeah, yeah, you were a failure. 
Right. Yeah, and it's like there are a lot of different ways to enjoy the arts. Yeah. And I feel like everybody should have an art that they enjoy, whether that's as a consumer of the art, whether that is somebody who does it in a community, whether that's someone who teaches it to, you know, small children who basically just want to put on tutus and dance around in a circle. Right. Or doing it professionally. I mean, there are a lot of different ways, and I think that Lee did a real disservice by framing it as if you don't go to New York and try to do it professionally, yep. you failed. I agree. Yeah. I completely agree with it. And they try to bring it... I mean, Finn's story was kind of headed in this way of, you know, you can be a teacher. And I think Finn wanting to be a teacher is way more genuine than Will, who does kind of have oh, this yeah. failed performer thing going on. Um, yeah. But it is unfortunate, especially with Rachel and her, again... One rant that everybody's going to get incredibly sick of me doing by the end of the season is this Finchel stuff because they're so not right for each other. And I mean, and you guys will hear my bigger rant on that later when it's more relevant. Um, I'm sorry to all the Finchel fans out there. I, I just, I don't see it. And, but the thing is that she has a dream. Finn does not really fit that dream. I know that they're teenagers and in love and are trying to figure it out. But at the end of the day, this dynamic just does not work. Um, yeah. So, but anyway, moving on to what's going on behind them. Um, yep. Yeah. Well, and God, they start making out in the thing, and I love that Bert's like, "Okay, stop." Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Bert. Oh, Bert. Bert's like, "Okay, I love this." He's like, "What do you want?" <laughs> and Kurt's like, "I'm sulking. Can't you tell?" He's like, "I know that you want something." Because <laughs> you're in the game when you want something. Uh, I love Bert. Okay. Yeah. And he's just so he gets it. He's just, you know, straight up, you're you. You're gonna get parts that fit you. You know, quit whining about it and embrace it. End and if story. you don't like it, you should write them. Which yep. let us all say for anybody who is a fan of Hamilton and Lynn Manuel Miranda is the entire reason why he wrote in the Heights in Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Because there's a great um quote that he's talking about, and I don't remember whether it was in one of the PBS specials or something where he's saying that, you know, as um, as a Hispanic man, there are only, like, three great parts that I could play. You know, I could play, you know, the Man of La Mancha, I could play Bernardo, and so I decided to write an entire show with people like me. See, and that's one um, reason I'm kind of, if Chris, I love you to death, um, I kind of wish you didn't put a cap on this whole Kurt writing things because I, I get it. I know that he didn't want Kurt to follow his life too closely, but I think that it's something very true to Kurt's character. I can really see him writing things. Um, yeah. Yeah. Maybe because they present it here and, and kind of play with it. But the reason it ever goes anywhere is because Chris is like, no, you're not doing that. Which is really weird because when, when this season, when this episode originally aired, when they mentioned that, I just assumed that that's what they were setting up for. Yeah, that and Kurt I think they were. Would, that Kurt would write his great part. I and I yeah. wonder if or somebody like him. Chris's book came out in the summer between season three and season four, so I'm wondering if he'd gotten his book deal at this point. Well, not to mention, well, Struck by Lightning had already. Yeah, he had been already. He already. Oh, sorry. I'm just like off on five different tangents too. But um, he had already written Struck by Lightning too. So yeah, he um. At the, again, sort of when I was reading up on episode, at this point, he had two books in the works and had finished wrapping, struck by lightning, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, change the rules, write your own history. He's, he's actually doing that at that point. Exactly. Well, then, I suppose, then, the, 
there's a link to um, to dreams come true when we get that flash forward into like them, you know, rewriting well-known plays for for LGBT characters and, and things like that. So he does go on to do do stuff like that. But yeah. as you said, it would have been cool for us to see that more. Well, and um, now that I think of it, Kurt was written for Chris because Chris didn't fit really any of the types yeah. that were in the original scripts. But, you know, he was a... Which, how could they have had an original script without a Kurt-type character? I don't know. That blows as, my mind. As a high school glee club, I don't, I don't understand it. That's crazy that they didn't. Um, and, and one thing that a lot of people talk about how Kurt was originally a Ryan Murphy little mini-me. And I think that even growing out of season one, Kurt becomes way less of a Ryan Murphy character and more of his own Kurt character. Uh, I mean, so I'm, I'm yeah. kind of glad that it kind of takes on its own thing. And, he, and yeah, I don't think there really is a character specifically like Kurt anywhere because Kurt's a little unicorn. I mean, so, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Oh, Bert. He, I'm, just, I'm just, Bert, just he... I just like, like, he doesn't cuddle him and he just, he just tells him like it is, you know? And it's sort of, that sort of shows just how accepting he is of Kurt. He's like, you, you're not like, was it, you're not like Rock Hudson gay, you're really gay. <laughs> Which is also, I think, a <laughs> nod. Oh, go ahead. You sing like Diana Ross and you dress like you own a magic chocolate factory. <laughs> <laughs> I love Bert. Aww. I love Bert. He's like, and why are you like, being so oh. mean? Kurt is so good at knowing what Kurt needs to hear. Yes. Yeah. You know, he's good at knowing whether he needs to hear, that sucks, I'm here for you, let's, you know, let's watch a movie on the couch, or you're being stupid, buck up, yeah. buttercup, you know you can handle this. Yes. And, and I love I, that. I love Bert, and I love that he is such a... Um, a template for any people who were watching who may have been parents or who were becoming parents as a way to be like, you know, if you're up against uh, issues that, you know, my child isn't what I was expecting they would be, be like Bert Hummel. Yep. Yeah. This is this is your template for how to handle that, no matter what they're throwing at you. Be like Bert Hummel. I feel so grateful that in these podcasts and in, in you know, taking on the Kurt and Blaine side of the show... I get Bert as a character. I don't have to deal with yeah. Sue very much. I don't have to deal with Will very much. I don't have to deal with this, like, ins like I said, insane Shelby plotline that's going to come along. But I get Bert Hummel on my side. So, uh, Hummel is great. Yeah. Bert uh, Hummel is great. I, and his last line, he's like, you know what they call a unicorn without a horn, a freaking horse. <laughs> Which is true. <laughs> I mean, at the same, at the end of the day, we're all people. We're, you know. So. It's true, and I mean, some days you really just want to be a horse, and some days you really want to be a unicorn. Yeah. You just gotta decide what you're gonna be, or if you're Brittany, you can decide to call yourself a bicorn. Yep. Because yes. you know you can't say the I word bisexual. Right, because heaven forbid we present that as an acceptable alternative. But I love that she was able to throw that in. I love Brittany being a bicorn. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, and I love the. Kurt, you know, finally, he doesn't really necessarily angst over it anymore. It's like, okay, he kind of comes to this level of acceptance really quickly for a teenager anyway, but like, okay, yeah. He has this come to Jesus moment. <laughs> which, so. he would he would not approve my uh, my no. language surrounding that, but he does have this come to Jesus moment. I think, moment. doesn't he say, he's, I swear to God, he, he even says come to Jesus at some point. I swear. That's a wonderful phrase. 
you know, it, it is it's appropriate for so many things. But I don't know. I don't remember. And I mean, you know, head. it's great. Uh, and he probably does say that at some point. Um, where's the, where's the line where he's like, his, uh, bulging pink fun sack, but at some point, <laughs> I feel like somebody should be keeping counter. <laughs> Oh man, it's when you do it unexpectedly that's the best. Um, shoot, did I distract you? Yes, I'm distracted <laughs> by the bulging pink fun sack. So we were um, talking about Bert being the best TV dad ever, and we were talking about Brittany being an adorable bike one. Yeah, we obviously can't talk about bisexuality yep. on TV because heaven forbid we give people the impression that that's a an acceptable sexuality to identify with. <sighs> I was gonna kind of. Why go, won't they let her just? I don't know. I don't know what that was all about. It's kind of weird, but. Um, I was going to move on to the next scene that Kurt's in, which he doesn't really say anything. He's just in the background. Um, wearing his jumpsuit, this like red and red, white and blue tank top. And his headband. But he wore the five versus draws and number, isn't it? Yeah, but he doesn't okay. have anything underneath it this time. <laughs> <laughs> just his bulging pink yeah, I, that was, I almost set you up for that. Come on. <laughs> you left that too early. I did. I didn't even mean to, though. <laughs> Oh man, um, but yeah, no. This the interesting thing about this scene, though, um, is that he's Will is teaching them to dance or whatever, and he's really, really, really nice and good with Finn. And next episode, which we aren't going to talk to, but I to set it up, um, he kind of treats Mercedes like shit for the same damn thing. It did whatever, whatever, whatever. It's a really really sharp dichotomy between how he encourages Finn and how he tears down Mercedes for, for the same sorts of thing. Yeah. Um, but he's, I'm, I mean, I guess I'm glad that he's supportive of one student. A little too. Um, I mean, come on. Literally a terrible teacher because he cannot translate that support of one student to all the rest of the ones who are put into his church. Oh, man. Just be better. That's why... Just be better. It's like, okay, let's ignore the bait plot and just watch Kurt dance around in the background. Oh, just be better. Um, so then we get into... Kurt's kind of come on to full acceptance, and he's got his new posters and believe in magic, believe in Kurt Hummel. Um, and he goes to tell Brittany, and Brittany at this point... Here's the thing with Bertana. Um, I have no opinion on the, of them as a couple. I really don't care one way or the other. Santana, in this particular time period, is really, really not very nice at all. Just isn't. Um, and kind of, it's like, okay, Brittany, you know, I, I do agree earlier on. She's like, you know what, if he doesn't accept your unicornness, you don't need him. I get that. That's totally fine. In fact, in this episode, it's not too bad, but... Just in general, I don't like Santana of this particular era of the show. So, But um, Brittany has decided that she's going to run her own campaign. And wishes Kurt all the luck in the world, but she's going to tap into her own uh, Brittany ideology. Which sounds a lot of like what Santana has been telling her. Um, I, not that I don't think that she would want to do things on her own. It just sounds very like... 
this was obviously rehearsed in certain respects. So. I, don't know. I don't know. As much as I would love to be like, no, you should help Kurt because this is adorable and I love you two together. When she was like, well, the past however many yeah. class presidents have been men, maybe it's time for women. I'm just sitting there going, yeah, yeah, of course there should be. Yes, you go, Brittany. You know, and um, as much as I, I love that sentiment, believe me, there should be more women leading things. I It makes me a little sad that Kurt is the one that gets shit on to do, make this point. You know, none of the actual really masculine characters or whatever get to have Brittany up in their face. It has to be Kurt. Well, so. Because we certainly can't do that to any of the, the men. We, we certainly can't do that. We can do that to Kurt because we don't consider him yeah. a man. Which is fucked up in so many different ways. Exactly. Yeah. So. And, as I said, and as we said before, like, they might be speaking about her running for representation for women and... Then her campaign promises become ridiculous. Oh god, and like topless Tuesday. Was this, was this the same like, season as the like, you can't use hair gel, or was that? Yes. The next? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. With the prom at the end, so like she started. I can't even remember because I haven't watched this episode because I'm not doing that one. I haven't rewatched it. But she's making stupid promises while handing out balloons in the hallway. Yeah, one of them was topless Tuesday. Top. Yeah, and. If my so Tuesday I, is going to be anything, I want it to be Taco Tuesday. Yeah. It's like, that's, if you want to set this up for this is what she's trying to do, then do that. And then they just go completely the opposite direction. Yep. And then have her elected and have her do absolutely nothing until she decides that the theme for the prom will be dinosaurs and nobody can wear hair gel. <laughs> that uh, is what she Like does. I said, you guys, long game for Blaine to win. Come on. Not kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I just there's so many good opportunities that were completely missed yeah. because yeah. the writers, sweet Jesus, the and at, writers. The, at the same time, um, Brittany is not going to really get to do much at all. In I mean, yeah. in this entire season, she really doesn't do much. But you know, a lot of people, I, I feel a little bad for the Britannia fans because she's going to not talk for like ten episodes. I mean. Like we, we Which talk, is a shame. Yeah, it's yeah. Mm. I mean, I just there should have been more Brittany and Kurt together because yeah. them together are unicorn magic. Yeah, mm-hmm. if like if you know if Brittany ends up as president, Kurt is her VP. Like, yeah, why couldn't they've done that? There's a there's a plot line. Yeah, why weren't I there? I would have loved that. That would have been amazing. There weren't any VPs in this, and there are definitely VPs in the next one. Yeah. Well, that's because they decided to, you know, do it differently. Because why would you, why would you do things the same in high school? Oh, that's like that year uh, after year. My one gripe about original song is the end of it, where they have the MVP for that one competition episode the and one never single time, <laughs> just so that they can give Rachel an arbitrary award. Well, and it's but Rachel like hasn't gotten an award. <laughs> and I lo- and I like Rachel. That's the thing. I like Rachel, but dear God. I. Okay, and, and for everybody listening, I'm just going to throw this out there, that when we get into season five and season six, I actually really enjoy her plot lines. It's just, I'm going to be whiny for the next year, <laughs> and most of the next one. I'm sorry about uh, that. but I, just, I, just, I, I want better, because yeah. I like Rachel as a character. Right. I think that she's a really interesting character. I think there were so many interesting things they could do with her. And they I like Leah Michelle, and I just want to stare at her and go, you could do better. Yes. You could treat, you could do her character better so that she has the opportunity to 
engage with challenges and yes. fail and then conquer and then emerge victorious. And I think, like, you know, when we looked at um, Purple Piano Project, I think Hummelberry, when they are going up against something together, is really, really fascinating. And the fact that they spend so much time wasted on, like, petty fights between them or Rachel's sadness for whatever reason, it just brings it down and they don't, again, bring that to its full potential. And I just... It's just frustrating. I just get y'all frustrated. Y'all could do better. Yep, y'all so. could do better. In, um, the, in the words of my nana, y'all could do better. <laughs> y'all could do better. Y'all um, could do better. I don't know why I say... I do. I say y'all. I don't know why. I'm not... That my culture does not... I don't know. I don't know where okay. I picked it up those of, those of us from down south will welcome you and welcome you to the community of y'all. Oh. Because you got y'all and then you got all y'all. All y'all. All y'all, which is the plural y'all and then you have the fun contraction uh, versions of it where you can basically condense 16 words oh yeah into one so y'all did this which would be you all would have been yep uh, which is one of my favorite words and one that i can very easily admit i have used in normal everyday language which is easier (laughs) It really is just shove everything together with like a handful of apostrophes. We <laughs> no. got that. We got use. Oh, that's there a good one. Use <laughs> all. What is you? What are you all? It's like oh, that's a good one. The Aussie Aussie bogan is what we call that. <laughs> I I love regional dialects. I love it. And as someone who has struggled um, in my professional voice. To get rid of some of my uh, my everyday uh, word contraction and usage, I still can't get rid of y'all. Mm. Well, y'all's a good one. It's funny. I y'all have, and all y'all. I have a slight. My accent is um, Midwestern, but it's also got some Canadian inflections in it because That's I fair. live north, um, and it's kind of fun. Um, I'm sure Canadians will be a gas because I don't sound Canadian, but <laughs> I, I hear. Are it. Canadians <laughs> really ever a gas at anything? Um, I, I've never really, my, uh, a couple of my friends who are from Edmonton, I'm not sure I've ever heard aghast. True. I've heard slightly surprised. They might be slightly surprised. But I feel like they would accept it. I feel like they would be like, sure. But they why not? here, sit at our table anyway. <laughs> but anyway. I like it. Um, going back to the, the episode, um, we kind of come to an ending. We get, uh, <laughs> we get, um, um, Darren Chris, his character's blade. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Were you distracted by the yes. bulging pink ball sack? I'm not even looking at that, but anyway. <laughs> you weren't looking at his bulging pink ball No, sack there are no crotch shots. really do not hide them. Oh my god. You're not on the, are you on the, um, god, I probably did, uh, um, um, choke. Are you on choke with me? I'm not sure. I kind of hope so. <laughs> No, no, it's like, yes, I am. Yes, I am. Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that that, that not mean to come out as evil as it sounded. That's so amazing. I kind of want to keep that in. Um, <laughs> I'm like, wow, that went dark. Um, <laughs> so, anyway, we're at the end of the episode, and um, Blaine's audition is something coming. And as we said before, no, you really don't want to do something from the actual musical if you're professional. If you're planning on auditioning for something, please don't do something from the show that you're auditioning for. It's it's really not good. Don't do that. No. But because this is high school and make-believe, 
Um, we like. If we had done it like, you know, a lot of high schools do, they would have given them a list. Sing one of these three songs. Right. From the show. You'll be fine. But, and you know, as much as I want to say you shouldn't sing something from the show, Danny nails it. Um, and I don't even like West Side Story. Uh, it's just, it's not my... Uh, cup of tea. Not a music, but it's not a cup of tea, but... Damn. I thought I was the only one. I thought I was the only one. I don't like it either. Uh, you know what? Hey, I, I mean, I, I don't mind it. It's not my favorite, but it's... It, I'm not a huge fan. And the music... I'm not really a fan of the music. Oops. I mean, hey. I've not seen it performed on stage. I've only seen the film. But I just watched... I was so... I remember being so excited to watch it, and it was just like... Eh. It's, it's not my jam. You know, there are a lot of musicals that I would prefer. Um, but... Lane nails it. I mean, he's yeah. an ex- he's an extraordinarily good fit for Tony. Yeah. Yep. Oh man, and he just looks it. I mean, just this whole scene. He and everything, I, everything about him screams, "I should be Tony in this high school performance of West Side Story." The thing to yep. be to play fair, I'm going to point this out. Um, Darren Chris, and he's mentioned this before. Does not have a classically trained, I mean, he is classically trained in a lot of ways, but he does not have the voice for this classical Broadway type show. No, he, he doesn't. He fits Hedwig amazingly because it's kind of a rock performance. Um, and that is, he knows where he's good at. But uh, the West Side Story isn't exactly his bread and butter. Um, but I, I do give him a lot of credit for this performance. It is quite amazing, and it, probably one of the the benefits of it doing it on TV is that he can do it in a studio where they can um, uh, make it. I, I would expect on a stage he'd struggle with it a little bit more. But um, yeah, I'm not sure, I'm not sure how he would do with a live performance of it. Right. Um, but the Glee version of it, he did very well. And I, and you know, I I would have no problem with him playing a high school. Yes. version of it. Yep. You know, I certainly, he probably wouldn't be my pick for, he most certainly would not be my pick for a professional version of it. Right. He probably wouldn't be my pick for a community theater version of it, but for a high school one, yeah, yeah, um, you got it. You know, and one thing I want to point out, just because we've kind of been talking about this kind of stuff, is that there is this, it, it, it's something that, it's a fan to me thing that I'm going to, to point out, is that there is this kind of, um, oh, what's the word? thing where if you criticize one aspect of the character then you hate the character or you don't get the character or you how dare you you know whatever and it's like no you you can that's talk- my least favorite yeah. fan of things exactly you know, I, I critique because i love and because a lot of these characters deserve some critiques exactly. on certain aspects of it and and for example saying something like you know Darren Chris isn't good on this particular song or Chris isn't good on this particular song, or whatever is not a judgment of them. And I get in some of it, you get really defensive because you get haters who actually hate them hating on them. But you know, coming we all here, we all here. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> we are all here because we well, love, <laughs> we love the these characters. <laughs> we love these characters. So having these discussions where we can say, okay, this didn't work or this isn't the best part. I mean, it doesn't dampen the fact when we say, okay, we love this and we love these characters and we love these actors. And I just want to put that out there um, that it, nothing, it doesn't have to be extreme, this or that black or white. Um, you can have these discussions and still be critical of certain things and still have just 
an immense of love for a character, an actor, a thing, whatever. So, just needed to put that out there. Amen. Um, but uh, we get this performance. Obviously, he's knocking it out of the park. And we have Kurt up in the balcony. And the thing, uh, one thing is that we don't, comparatively, we don't see Kurt hard eye as much. Now, I think that's just a Blaine thing in general more than Kurt. But Kurt is just at first so adoring. Actually, all the way until the very end, he is adoring of Blaine. Just he, no matter what happens with Kurt's life and him not getting this part, he is so proud of Blaine up there. And I think I think that it's something that we should be able to accept, and you know, in in characters and in ourselves, that you can both be exceedingly proud of a loved one, whether that is a significant other or friend who is doing amazing and still be disappointed that that's not something you can do exactly exactly and i you know i one of my good friends in high school was a she had a beautiful soprano voice i mean just stunning and while i was so incredibly proud of her every time she would do something like that i was also so incredibly jealous that i could my voice could not do what hers could. You can have both of those in there, and that's a mark of a human character. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, and, and really, when you look at this scene, the w- tension doesn't come until the end. When And here's the thing about Blaine kind of going and giving it back to Kurt, because Blaine, at first, he indeed did not put down Tony on that audition sheet. You know, they talked about it, Blaine realized that this is something that Kurt really wants and is like, you know what? I will get my chance. I'm going to let my boyfriend shine because I know he can. And, um, oh my God. My adorable supportive Blaine. Do you know what happened? I'm going to, I'm going to cut this out. I was thinking about the scene earlier and we didn't talk about this in the scene earlier. And then I thought of those pants and then I just got distracted thinking about during Chris's ass. Oh my God. Anyway. Did you get distracted by a bulging pink pants? No, it was... No, it was an ass this time. I Buy cannot believe shirt. that. Oh my god. <laughs> I feel so worse. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I am the worst. I'm so unprofessional. Anyway. Really? You're the one who's unprofessional? <laughs> um, but no. Um, yeah, so... These two, despite the fact that they're throwing this tension into this relationship, which unfortunately, well, or fortunately, doesn't last very long, it, it's not because they aren't supportive of each other, or because they don't love each other, or because there's real, genuine um, uh, uh, competition between the two of them. It's actually an outside factor. It's when they say, hey, do you want to be Tony, that Kurt is like, oh, okay, like, this yeah. is a real thing. Because on one hand, he knows Lane would be an excellent Tony. But on the other hand, it's like, well, I wanted to be Tony. And I, these are very relatable emotions. And yeah. as much as I complain about um, portions of the story, it's a very relatable story. Especially for anybody who has had a close friend or significant other who was trying out for the same team or auditioning for the same part or in any sort of um, judge situation uh, that you were also in. You know, it, it's a very familiar thing to be through, and 
I think that a lot of us can can relate to that, and I really like that. And I would like to point out, you know, this is kind of throwing it to you way into the future, but Kurt never really, even though there are these moments, even though he gets angry, even though there's frustrations, even though they break up, Kurt doesn't come off as if he's actually ever in competition with Blaine. Um, so when Blaine starts to break down in season five and it is like, you know, isn't yeah. it a competition? And Kurt's just like, what the frick are you talking about? We've been doing this together the whole time. You know, it is out of nowhere for him because he just isn't in that mindset when it comes to his relationship. Or at least that's my take on it. My darling babies. So. All right, well, I think we've reached the end. It's a cliffhanger. Oh, my gosh, what's going to happen? I'm so nervous about... Oh, no, who's going to get it? <laughs> what's going to happen to Clayne? Um, nothing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, my babies. Um, well, I want to thank you guys for coming on and talking with me tonight about this, and um, thank everybody for listening tonight. Next week, we have uh, the first appearance of Rory, which I'm sure everyone is really looking forward to. So uh, join us next Sunday night, and thanks for listening. Okay.